Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley and today's is a belter. Every Wednesday, when Parliament City, we bring you PMQ's Unpacked, a brand new series with a brand new Prime Minister. It's PMQ's Unpacked. Tim Shipman and I pause the action live to analyse in real time Liz Truss's debut against Keir Starmer. Who comes out on top? You can find out in just a moment. First though, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel. And on a Wednesday, it is Alibert. It's Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. The Columnists with Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Yeah, and you know we are back. We are back with a bang. It's a new term. They're both here in the studio. Morning, Alice Thompson. Morning, Morning, Frankie. Robert Crampton. Morning, Matt. A new dawn is broken, is it not? How do you feel living under our new leader? I, I'm fairly neutral about it, yeah. yeah. Uh, Robin, it must be the first time you've had a Prime Minister younger than you, isn't no, it? No, no. Uh, oh, it's the first time no. I have. Cameron is a bit younger than me. Boris is six weeks older than me. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Alice, what about you? What's your, what's your take on, on, on Liz Truss overall? I mean, the benefit of the doubt seems to be the sort of national well, that, vibe. that surprised me because actually I had been incredibly pusillanimous uh, <laughs> about her getting in and coming leader but there's that moment when even if it's pouring with rain in Downing Street when you just have that moment of oh this is history and it's changing and yeah. you've got to give her a fresh start and I think we've got to give her a couple of days to see what she does with energy <laughs> two maybe <laughs> two days at yeah, least. Yeah I know William Hague wrote a good column about it didn't he saying you know he didn't really didn't didn't really want it and didn't really rate her uh, but you know she's the prime minister yeah and uh and I there's guess so much still got entitles we, her to her. Even if you think uh, she's got the wrong ideas, uh, or you know, you don't like her, or she's not as the job. There's also, as a country, we've got to hope she's got the right ideas. Yeah. and does a good job. I mean, the problem is that she's been elected, sort of elected as prime minister with a fewer than about a third of Tory MPs, yeah. and, and just and not even fifty-seven percent of Tory members, of, of whom there are about one hundred seventy thousand people voted. Yeah. So it's not like I mean, if it's if it's uh, it's not Blair in '97, where even a Tory would have to say. Let's get behind him. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or uh, yeah, that's, that's her in, it's quite a that's in 79. Yeah, pretty yeah. narrow, yeah. Pretty also, narrow. it's a very young cabinet. I mean, that's the problem, is that they have almost no experience between yeah. them of being in office. And like, Tony Blair didn't have much experience, but he brought in quite a lot of senior yeah. people. She doesn't have very many And actually, the grind of opposition people. to those years forced them to think about this stuff. Well, let's talk about the cabinet, because mm. a lot of people talk about it. It's a more diverse cabinet. For the first time, none of the great officers of state, Prime Minister, Chancellor, Home Secretary, Foreign Secretary, are held by a white man. When a white man going to finally get a break? That's what I'm on. But people have also, you know, Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister are women. But people have been pointing out that, you know, that is very good, the sort of surface diversity, mm. but more privately educated, mm. you know, in terms of background and class, it's still quite narrow. So I thought at the beginning, I thought, um, actually, that it's fantastic. It's really diverse. It's really different. And actually, it doesn't matter too much where they went to school. But then you look at the statistics and 23 them went to private school that is really high yeah. only five went to a comprehensive and three to a grammar school I mean that's that is an extraordinary imbalance really when you consider that only seven percent of the country are going to private school so mm. yeah I think she did get that wrong and it's very difficult because you're trying to balance as you say all the talents yeah. but she has got an extremely young cabinet now and she's got a very privately school educated yeah. one and I think I think that is quite hard because it, it's sort of saying 
we don't really care about that anymore. Yeah. And you do need to know where people are coming from. And I think part of it is it's very difficult to be an MP without having some money. And particularly, Robert, during the campaign, she really egged up her. I went to a comprehensive and yes, she did. I mean, she's one of the she's one of the five, I think. I mean, despite, uh, yeah. despite, the, I mean, uh, despite that, a comprehensive actually been quite a nice, smart one. Yeah, I was talking said. to a friend of mine, uh, Ben Machel, who's from a fellow writer on the magazine. He's from Round Hay, and he says it's basically you know it's the poshest part of Leeds. Yeah. It's, it's call it the Red Wall is 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 stretching a point. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I know because I went to a similar uh, affluent, sub, com, you know, yeah, yeah. comprehensive and affluent suburbs in Yorkshire. Uh, I think uh, the class is a problem. I think I've always thought that in this country, class trumps race mm. and indeed gender every time. I think you face certain disadvantages because of race and gender, but they tend to be when somebody is actively prejudiced against you. They're not baked into the system. Yeah. Whereas if you are from a... a a less privileged background, uh, then that is baked in. And actually, Theresa, got, you know, Theresa probably, May put a finger on that, actually, yeah. in a speech outside Downingstreet when we came to Prime Minister, talking about the burning injustices and actually yeah. lining up, you know, th there are disadvantages to being a black man, but also being a young working class, white working class. Well, yeah. And, yeah, I think actually that's right. I think it yeah. is about class in the end. Yeah. Is it, it does trump everything else, that it is really difficult if you have come from a different background. And you also just need different backgrounds. Yeah. I think the problem now for all the parties, really, is that it's so expensive to be an MP and you have to have two homes and, you know, after the expenses scandals, it, you, know, you do need to have quite a lot of money and I think that puts a lot of people off doing it. Yeah, and I suppose... But do, do you think it really matters? Because people... Does it matter in terms of the decision? Should we not just judge them by the decisions they make and the things that they do? Or does... I suppose if they've all been to essentially the same university and done the same PPE course yeah. and all have this idea about economics and actually, if we, you know, does it does it matter? Well, it matters because you get, the, from a kind of groupthink point of view, uh, but yeah, I think it matters just from a... Uh, it matters that, seven, like, as Alice said, 7% of the population are privately educated and yeah. 23 out of... How many is it? 30? There's quite a lot of them. She's really packed. Yeah. They have to get that little table out again. They have to put... There's like an so, extra table. It's like Christmas. They have to get on, an extra table out for the Close cabinet. on to 80%. Yeah, yeah, um, Yes, that matters. I mean, that's bad optics, as they, yeah, as yeah. they would say. But it also... It's just... It's a real indictment, isn't it? Of yeah. uh, of, of the way we kind of educate people in this country. Yeah. And and you say... And, the, you know, the people who end up going into politics and uh, maybe people... It may about money, but also about confidence... Uh, connections, usual stuff, yeah. you know, and then it's and it's getting worse. There was a period not so long ago when it was getting better. It seemed to be getting better. Somebody <laughs> just texted in. I'm state educated. There's no name on it. I'm state educated. The fact is, we need well-educated people in post. All very mm. noble to say we need state educated bods, but in the end, we need the best we can get. Speaks volumes of our education system. Mm. I'm just not sure that's true. I mean, it no. So I don't think it is just the education system because you've got lots of people coming through from state schools now who are going to great universities. I've seen the paper today about Oxbridge. Exactly. You know, so then, the, on you know, then I going up to seventy, eighty percent of people, you know, at Oxbridge and at the, you know, Ivy League, you know, mm -hmm. and now now poaching people from British state schools. Yeah. So that's great. I think the problem is that it's very, very difficult to become an MP because you have to have some sort of, you know... And also, why would you want to? If you're a really talented person who's come up from a, from a humble background through a state school, you've probably got slightly higher ambitions than, <laughs> than, than becoming an MP. I mean, in terms of money... Yeah. In but terms also of the status. Point, the point that you're making, Alice, that if you have been to a private school, you come from a family with money and therefore you can probably grind through all that, you know, traipsing around being a candidate and all yeah. that stuff with, with money behind you. And afford yeah. somewhere to live in London. I yeah, mean, you, you, all, you're going to have to have a place in London and a yeah, place yeah, in yeah. your constituency. You're going to have to have a very willing spouse who doesn't mind doing it. You're, I mean, there's so many extra factors now yeah. about being an MP that I think make it very difficult for people to actually become one or think of how to become one or work out the best way of doing it. And I think Angela Rayner is quite a good example of someone who has managed to do it. Yeah. But she also had a very supportive spouse and she was in the system and she was... You well, she need, came through a, a union. Yeah, you need a union system. Yeah. You need something to help you, otherwise the, it's I really mean, difficult. Yeah, in the old days, the, the, the cream of the union used to get... Uh, you know, they would be... Uh, the union would sponsor yeah, them to yeah, become. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, the cream would be stay in the union and be general secretaries, but the, the next one down would be the M. Becoming the, an MP. Yeah, well, I was at a thing last night. Nick Thomas Simmons, who's a Labour front bench, has written a biography of Howard Wilson. He was talking about this that back in the sort of sixties and fifties, sixties, seventies. The parties had to go out and find people to mm. become MPs. Which is now not a problem they have. You know, they're sort of inundated, but they're all the sort of particular type of person who. Yeah, to sign up. In fact, that's somebody that Steve's just texted. Working class people who move up don't waste their time being MPs. Well, that's what I was. It's a good that's point. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. a good point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you could you could you could think, well, I could have more influence, you know, being an entrepreneur or 
or I don't know, being in yeah. the media or being in the city or or whatever, being in the law. And yeah. it's it's not the uh, it's not. It the also answer. seems very fickle, doesn't it? Because people are moving around, and the cabinet's changing the whole time now. That you can be in it for a couple of months, and then you're out. That. It, it's not a very stable career at all. No, and the role models are poor, whereas in the past you looked at them and you thought, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty impressive people. Uh, I'd like to be one of those. I'm not sure people are thinking that anymore. <laughs> well, I suppose that's also because the, the, if, yeah. if, if everyone who's ever supported anyone else before gets re- rejected, you know, the pool you're, you're drawing from is smaller. Yeah. Um, let's talk about one of the sort of real-life... There's a lot of talk about energy bills, we'll get that tomorrow, but the real-life sort of policy proposal from Liz Truss, this thing on GP's appointments... Which you'll know, because Danny Twitter and Holland's analysis, that this was like a big thing, the Lib Dems in that by-election, really hammered away. Not really been a big thing in the sort of Westminster conversation. But yeah, not being ground, able to get a GP's appointment, yeah. not being able to get a dentist. There was no dentist yeah. in the South West. No one can get an appointment. Yeah. That was yeah. huge. And also schools and the fact they were crumbling. So they were really big issues in the West Country for Tiverton and, and, and no one was getting that and grasping it yeah, within yeah. the Tory party. And so I think GPs is, it's something tangible that people get. They ring up and they on average it's 43 minutes on your waiting yeah. and then you don't get the appointment for and another the, six weeks, by was, which point you're either really ill or yeah. you've got better. And the receptionist who seems to have been trained to put you off at all costs. Uh, I mean, no, it's true. I mean, yeah. I, this seemed to have sort of happened by stealth in the, during, the, uh, during the pandemic that GPs seem to be kind of wanting to turn themselves into a telephone service post-pandemic, you know? Yeah. I mean, they did that during the pandemic, and they seem to, we want, some of them anyway, seem to be wanting to take the I think the biggest disconnect for me is always the fact there's so many people who want to become doctors, and yet we don't train them. Exactly. We think yeah. it's too expensive. So there are a lot of people who want to but be But the GPs. idea we're going to have GPs in time for the next election is... Um, exactly. But I like the idea of giving more uh, scope to pharmacists and yeah. to nurses. Mm. I've always thought there's a lot of stuff that you go to the GP for, which is pretty routine, that could be done by uh, a nurse or, yeah. or a pharmacist. So I think that's... I mean, that's better better that's, signposting. That sense. Just finally, very quickly, hot tubs. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, we're falling out of love with them. Yeah, I, uh, I was they're my great hate. As long as I was saying, yeah, Roberts as well as buffets. They're the two things. Like when bu- we go on holidays, oh, no, John would never allowed to go to the hot tub running buffet. Finger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's the idea that the whole family gets a sick bug. No, and well, it's the same with the hot tub. We've actually, hired a like, hot tub. Not, oh. We've hired a hot tub no, before for like a week. Yeah, at Christmas we did it one Christmas actually. It was quite nice during the lockdown. I don't like hot tubs, no. Uh, but I do, you do like, like boiled eggs. I do like boiled You've eggs. Your column. I agree yeah. with you on this. I do like boiled eggs, but I realised I was spending way too much on them. It was an absurd amount of money. Spending two pound ten for two, two boiled 10 eggs. for two boiled eggs in Pret. From Pret and, and they're cold and they have cold. this sort of. And if you if you get even three range them, size grade A or size A yeah. or whatever it's called from uh, little. 14p. Yeah. Boil them and you can get them hot. Boil them yourself. Yeah. And you can have them with toast. Well, you can't so. walk around with a hot egg in your pocket. No, exactly. <laughs> but you can have breakfast uh, before you get into work. Maybe I'd like do that in Devon or do that in yeah. the countryside. Yeah, I like egg. them. I think they're good. Uh, anything like that. It annoys people. Eating, a, uh, eating an egg like an apple. Yeah. yeah. Right, a tomato like, like, like an apple. Tomato like an apple. Yeah. Drives my wife mad. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton then. Of course, you can read them both in the Times of your week. Just get yourself a subscription. I've told you this before. Go to the times.co.uk forward slash times fed box. Up next, it's a belter. It's PMQ's Unpacked. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yeah, Tim Shipman, the Sunday Times Chief Political Commentator is in the studio uh, with me. It's a big... Why, why does PMQs matter so much? Lots of people say this is all Westminster bubble nonsense. What we care about is energy bills and cost of living crisis. Why are we worried about this Punch and Judy show? Well, if you stick around for half an hour, I don't think you're going to be short of cost of living stuff. Um, that's point one. Point two is that this is uh, the parliamentary bear pit where the leaders are tested. And don't forget... You know, it was a bunch of Westminster nonsense that got rid of uh, Boris Johnson. Uh, Stuff he was doing, the way his team responded to it, and then, you know, the lack of faith that his side had in him, and that's what did for him in the end. Um, And, you know, PMQs is a way of measuring that support, what's going on behind the people, how much enthusiasm have they actually generated, and having their arguments tested and their performance tested. It's it's like a sort of weekly MOT for leaders um, on both sides, and it can tell you quite a lot about the state of politics. Yes, some of it is ephemeral uh, rubbish, um, and that may even be the fun bits, but... Um, you know, it's important. It all plays in. Yeah, yeah, it all plays in. Well, we could, because it's such a big, uh, it's a big day, first day of term uh, for, for lots of these new ministers. Uh, so uh, Lindsay Hoyle, Common Speaker, kicks things off. Let's take a listen. I'd also like to take this opportunity to welcome the new Prime Minister to her place. And I know she will want to ensure that any statements will be made in the House first. We now come to number one. And we start with Paul Hamilton. Paul Letter. Yeah. 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 Mr. Speaker, I'm honoured to take my place as Prime Minister in this House and to take on responsibility at a vital time for our country. I am determined to deliver for everybody across our United Kingdom. I will work constructively with all members of this House to tackle the challenges we face. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. So there she is, making her making debut. Uh, I, th- I think it's fair to say that Lindsay Hoyle completely forgot where he was then and didn't know who he was calling. Or indeed what their name was. Yeah. But apart from that, it's all going very well. Uh, Liz Truss looking, uh, you know, she looks quite pleased, doesn't she? Um, uh, a, d- a navy blue jacket and a... I don't no, really I wondered if fashion. you do the clothes. Well, I mean, It's she, not quite she, Margaret Thatcher, but it's a sort of Maggie type look. It's, it's a it's white not... white jacket, white, white shirt with a sort of, I don't know what collar that... A blouse, I think a, we call a, a it frilly, when it's the ladies. A frilly collar, a frilly collar. A little bit frilly. But, you know, the hair is the hair has been arranged with a scalpel. It's all very, it's very controlled. It's, the hair is the anti-Boris Johnson. Yes, very much so. And sitting to her left, anyway, her let's hope there's woman, some substance to talk about. A right-hand woman, not just this uh, Therese Coffey, the Deputy uh, Prime Minister. The Deputy Prime Minister and Health Secretary. Impossible to overstate how close they are. Uh, well, I mean, they've sung karaoke together more often than you and I have, and that is saying something, <laughs> I think. Uh, and significant, and this is, you know, when we go here from Keir Starmer in just a moment, but it's a significant, you know, Labour constantly have this problem that they've only ever had a, a man as leader. And I rather suspect we might hear about that at some point. Yes, the Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister of Women and the, the Chancellor of the Exchequer um, and the Home Secretary are uh, not white. And, and uh, the Tories, at least in recent times, have done rather better on this than, than the Labour Party. Um, and that is not something lost on quite a lot of members of the Labour Party. OK, here we go then. Uh, this, is the, uh, this is what we're all here for, the, bit, the main event of PMQ's Unpacked, uh, where we pause the action live from the House of Commons to ex- analyse in real time what is going on. Listening along live on Times Radio, watching along live on the Times Radio YouTube channel. This is question number one from Keir Starmer. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I congratulate the Prime Minister on her appointment? When, when, she said, when she said in her leadership campaign that she was against windfall taxes, did she mean it? Well, I thank the uh, Right Honourable Gentleman for his welcome. I hope that we will be able to work together, particularly on areas we agree on. And I know that we have had strong support from the opposition in opposing Vladimir Putin's appalling war in Ukraine. And I want us to continue to stand up to that appalling Russian aggression that has led to the energy crisis we face now. I am against a windfall tax. I believe it is the wrong thing 
to be, to be putting companies off investing in the United Kingdom just when we need to be growing the economy. Well, let's jump in there. I mean, given that the main complaint normally from listeners is the questions never answered, that was a very straightforward. Do you still oppose a windfall tax? Yes, yes she I do. does. And that was an interesting one because I know there were some Tories who wondered if she might give ground on that. Don't forget, a month ago, she wasn't in favour of uh, doing uh, a, a sort of big bazooka on um, energy prices either. And at some point um, in the not-too-distant future, Keir Starmer is going to point out that he was the first uh, to say that we should uh, freeze the energy price. Um, so... Uh, Trust is going to have to embrace that, but it's very clear that one of the ways she's going to pay for it is not a windfall tax. And there was some, uh, you know, even some Tories wondered if she would have to give ground on that. So that's nice and clear. Um, you know, in both her answers so far, you know, in the opening and there, t stressing the desire to work together, uh, one suspects that will be honoured more in the breach than the observance. But um, uh, new prime ministers always like to sort of say that they're happy to work across the house. Um, I mean, it's fair to say uh, it's not the it wasn't the most fulsome. Uh, welcome from Keir Starmer. Yeah, there was a sort of dead silence straight <laughs> after it where everybody wondered if he was going to say anything more about, you know, yeah. uh, fortitude or something. And even she acknowledged, just thank you for your words, not even warm words. Which uh, they would have prepared in advance that she would thank him for his words. And yeah, then, yeah. She, even, you know, she probably was, uh, if she had a more fulsome thanks, she curtailed that pretty fast. Um, it's also worth pointing out in terms of all of, you know, the, the, all these things matter. The presentation would have been very carefully thought out. That sitting to Liz Truss's right hand side is Penny Mordant who is the new leader of the House of Commons. Leader of the House so of Commons. So that's why she's sitting there, because that is where the leader of the House of Commons sits, with the chief whip one seat further along. So I don't think we can necessarily draw the conclusion that that is um, a, a sign of how close Mordant is to the centre of power. But it is a... But it, 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 visually, we but are visually, seeing a very it different... Visually, it is a good you know, and visual. She was a, she was a very popular... She was. Uh, ...leadership contender. And then just to the other side of Therese Coffey, you've got Kwasi Kwarteng, the new Chancellor, and then you go the uh, think Swedish Parliament there, the Home Secretary, then the Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly. The, the you know it, it's, it's a all very women different... and non-white men. Yeah, there's not a non-white man in sight. There's not a white uh, man in sight. Right? Uh, there's a white. The first white man on the front bench, I think, is J Alastair Jack. Uh, As, who, as everybody knows, is the Secretary of State for Scotland. Thank you very much, Tim. Uh, right, let's go back. Right, the, the hit rate so far is quite good. One question, one answer. Let's see if this continues. Let's go back to the House of Commons. It's Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, uh, thank you for that answer. I ask because the Treasury estimates are that the energy producers will make £170 billion in excess profits over the next two years. The Prime Minister knows she has no choice but to back an energy price freeze. But it won't be cheap, and the real choice, the political choice, is who is going to pay. Is she really telling us that she's going to leave these vast excess profits on the table and make working people foot the bill for decades to come? I understand that people across our country are struggling with the cost of living and they're struggling with their energy bills. And that is why I, as Prime Minister, will take immediate action to help people with the cost of their energy bills. And I will be making an announcement to this House on that tomorrow and giving people certainty to make sure that they are able to get through this winter and be able to have the energy supplies and be able to afford it. But we can't just deal with today's problem. We can't just put a sticking plaster on it. What we need to do is increase our energy supplies long term. And that is why we will open up more supply in the North Sea, which the Honourable Gentleman has opposed. That is why we will build more nuclear power stations, which the Labour Party didn't do when they were in office. And that is why we will get on with delivering the supply as well as helping people through the winter. Well, um, uh, it's interesting, this argument now. So so basically, we're going to end up in a place where Liz Truss is going to do the thing she said she wouldn't do, which is to freeze bills, which is what Labour Party said after the Lib Dems said it, after Martin Lewis said it. Um, 
but there's now an argument about how you pay for it. That's and, right, and that's Labour's plan. I mean, so I'm told this this morning by Labour sources that, you know, they know that there's not a huge amount of political capital to be gained by going, well, we said it first and now you've copied us, no, 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 no. But what there is going forward for the next two years is saying we are on the side of working people and you are on the side of big business and people who can afford uh, to pay, um, you know, the higher taxes or whatever. Um, and frankly, you know, how do you pay for this? Do you whack these companies that have made all this money or do you somehow put it onto taxation? Now, Liz Truss, I think, will probably put quite a lot of it onto borrowing. Um, so that argument may not um, be quite as potent as Labour hopes. But their whole approach from now to the next election is to say we are on the side of, uh, you know, the real people. And um, while Truss can do these political gimmicks, uh, how she pays for it will reveal who she really is as a politician. It's really striking that the, the statement that came out from the Treasury this morning after uh, Kwasi Kwarteng met some people in the city said, uh, the government's first priority would support families and business in their immediate term. The Chancellor was clear this will mean necessary higher borrowing in the short term, which is exactly what she said she was opposed to. And so you end up in this sort of slightly strange situation of the Conservatives being in favour of higher borrowing and the Labour Party saying, well, how, you know, well, how are you going to pay for it? Why are you saddling future generations with more debt? Which is the reverse of what we normally see in British politics. That's right. Though it's hardly been the reverse of what we've seen over the last <laughs> year or so. And then to be fair to Trust, you know, she has her own argument as well. And what she's going to hit Labour with is uh, you're all about just chucking money out of the door now. What you're not interested in is in tackling the long-term problems. And what I'm here to do is to try and sort that out. Yeah. So we need to get more supply. We need to not be dependent on Russia. We need to build new, more nuclear power stations and we need to open up the North Sea again. And, um, you know, frankly, that's two questions with a degree of substance, both in the question and the answer. And, and I think they're in... They're both, they're both, you know, they're, 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 they're holding their audience, you know, they're speaking in clear, full sentences and, and setting out a case. Yeah, and Labour know that they're going to get more substance from trust than they got out of yeah. Johnson, and that will affect their own approach as well. But I think some of them hope that that plays into Starmer's hands because he's king of the detail as well. And if he can have a genuine argument about the detail of policy, uh, Keir Starmer will be in a more comfortable place than trying to crack jokes about ostriches with Boris Johnson. So Mitch Stewart's put on the YouTube uh, channel. Uh, uh, oh, no, no, uh, someone else on Twitter. So, well, that was frustratingly sure-footed, <laughs> which uh, gives something away. Somebody else says, Matt says, uh, did the Tories find that blaming the last Labour government still works them, despite Labour having been out of power for 12 years? Well, that's, I mean, the 12 years thing and attacking what happened before, that's one of the uh, Labour Party's uh, big sort of campaigning laws. Well, let's go back. We'll find out if Keir Starmer picks up on that. It's uh, question number three in the House of Commons from Keir Starmer. But I look forward to tomorrow's statement, but the money's got to come from somewhere. Uh, and she, she knows that every single pound in excess profits she chooses not to tax is an extra pound on borrowing that working people will be forced to pay back for decades to come. More borrowing than is needed. That's the true cost of her choice to protect oil and gas profits, isn't it? Mr Speaker, the reality is that this country will not be able to tax its way to growth. The way, the way we will grow our economy is by attracting investment, keeping taxes low, delivering the reforms to build projects quicker. That is the way that we will create jobs and opportunities across our country. Well, that's that's proper classic conservatism. I was going to say, I mean, she sounds like a conservative prime minister, yeah. and um, whatever else Boris Johnson sounded like at various points, he didn't often sound like a traditional conservative prime minister. And um, you know, we're back to, as you say, the terms of the debate are slightly different. Um, for advantage, you know, Labour, Labour in the past have not been that averse to borrowing, but you know, they clearly want to make this point in order to say borrowing hurts. Um, you know, uh, the, the humble voter in the street down the line, um, which is not the argument the Labour Party normally pursues. But but no, that's a straightforward, you know, we'll cut taxes, we'll get an investment, we'll we'll grow, and that's how we'll get more money. It's 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 Ronald Reagan. Um, it, and yet... Even more than it is Margaret Thatcher. Is actually. there also a bit of cakeism in this? Because she's saying that I'm bo both going to do the big state intervention stuff, which I bitterly hated while sitting in the cabinet with Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson, which will cost billions of pounds and leads to massively higher borrowing, while also cutting taxes. So she gets to do the sort of the Thatcherite Reagan, you know, get the government out of your way, keep more of your own money stuff, while also running up massive billions and billions of pounds of borrowing. 
Totally. And that's why Rishi Sunak and others think that it's reckless because they think that you, you have to make some choices along the line here and that uh, you either put the huge amount of money in and if you do, you've got to find a way of paying for it. Uh, if you don't, um, uh, you know, you borrow. There are people who think that will put up inflation and will outweigh the benefits of, of all the other things that she's doing. Um, but... Um, you know, she's taken a calculation that that was the best way to win the Conservative leadership election and that it's the best way uh, to stabilise a very new premiership and have half a chance of winning the next election. Um, uh, all the things are pointing against the Conservative Party um, in 2024 and Liz Truss is trying to sort of cut through that and hopes that um, a bit of short, sharp uh, investment um, and genuinely, you know, releasing business to do some of what it wants to do um, will help kickstart growth and that inflation will work its way through the system naturally. And, that, you know, by the uh, end of 2023, start of 2024, she can say, look, we've, we've dealt with this. Um, uh, we're on the way back. Don't spoil it now yeah. by putting the other lot in. Um, and that may be the only play that the Conservative Party has realistically at this point. Yeah, Vanessa's just texted in. Isn't Trust doing what she said you wouldn't give him with one hand and taking away with the other? Yes, or possibly at the moment, giving with both hands uh, is also... Uh, one I mean, cakeism was Boris Johnson's ultimate, you know, contribution to British politics. Yeah. Um, but it would be wrong to suggest that Boris Johnson is the only Prime Minister who has tried cakeism uh, in the past. Yeah, and, and actually what she's doing in a way, she's wrapping it up in a more more traditional Conservative ideology. Yes, because uh, presentationally. I Presentationally. Yeah, and also I think her MPs think she believes that um, and will actually try to do it, yeah, whereas yeah. Boris Johnson spoke a good game about um, parts of the Conservative uh, ideology, but most of his ideology was how do I solve this problem for me um, between now and uh, uh, next week. Yeah. Uh, right, let's go back to the House of Commons then. Uh, somebody pointed out, she's, is, is somebody said, is she in a rush? Because she seems to be getting through it. We appreciate that. Uh, short question, short answer. So this is uh, question number four from Keir Starmer. So, Mr Speaker, her first act as Prime Minister is to borrow more than is needed because she won't touch excess oil and gas profits. On that topic, how much would her planned corporation tax cut hand out to companies? The right honourable gentleman is looking at this in the wrong way. The last time... Oh, the Commons has suddenly come alive. Tax, we attracted more revenue into the Exchequer because more companies wanted to base themselves in Britain. More countries wanted to invest. More companies wanted to invest in our country. And if taxes are put up and raised to the same level as France, which is what the current proposal is, and which I will change as Prime Minister, that will put off investors. It will put off. Uh, those companies investing our economy, and ultimately that will mean fewer jobs, less growth, and less opportunities across our country. Oh, was that it? Oh, there we are. She sat down again. Uh, again, a big. I mean, this is this is the this is the one for the popular sort of economic wonks. Is there a sweet spot where you raise the maximum amount? Because clearly, if you follow the logic of, well, we cut corporation tax and got more money. If you if you keep cutting it, do you keep getting, you know, is the old... Well, the short cut? answer is no, you don't. Um, and this is the argument Rishi Sunak's people were making, that for the amount of cuts that George Osborne and others made to corporation tax, the amount of investment was actually rather marginal. Um, yes, there was more, but there wasn't enough more to justify yeah. dropping it as low as they had. And that was his point. So Sunak's plan was to um, raise corporation tax on the profits of large companies whilst providing huge tax breaks for investment. So it'd be interesting to see if Liz Trust wants to incentivize, specifically incentivise investment in the way that Sunak envisaged. Um, uh, because his view inside the Treasury was that it wasn't raising enough in terms of investment and that the biggest problem we have relative to France, Germany, other comparable countries is that businesses were not investing. Yes, the sort of headline rate of corporation tax can have an impact on whether sort of com companies decide to relocate here. But in terms of ones that are here, whether or not they want to put a load of money into long-term planning, um, there hasn't been the incentive to do that. Um, and, um, you know, something more targeted is potentially needed. Um, the other interesting thing here is that um, while Starmer has a, you know, a good point here about, you know, why aren't you taking some money from these companies that have profited excessively? Um, 
he's very quickly putting himself in danger of being the sort of anti-business party yeah, again yeah, and just point, will yeah, find it weeks. very convenient to be the pro-business party in a sort of more traditional fashion than Boris Johnson was. Uh, somebody's asked on the, on the YouTube channel, is Boris Johnson in the chamber? I, my guess is not. I, I, I can't see him and I assume he isn't. Yes, um, he's finishing his book, presumably. Uh, one of his many books. Um, May uh, even be finishing the book he's writing himself. <laughs> as well as finishing, helping you finish yours. Um, uh, right, let's go back to the House of Commons then. It's, it's interesting how this is sort of panning out. Keir Starmer asking a series of sort of technical questions: How much did this raise? How much, you know? How much would this save? You know, uh, at some point he might mount this into a sort of an argument which gets him on the news tonight, uh, and hopefully in the papers tomorrow. Because if Liz Truss making it confirming she's going to, she is going to make the statement to the House tomorrow. Uh, on what she's planning to do with energy bills. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons now. This is number five, five from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, it's extraordinary that not only is the Prime Minister refusing to extend the windfall tax, she's also choosing to hand the water companies polluting our beaches a tax cut. She's choosing... She's choosing to hand the banks a tax cut. Add it all together, and companies that are already doing well are getting a £17 billion tax cut. While working people pay for the cost of living crisis, stroke victims wait an hour for an ambulance, and criminals walk the streets with impunity. Families and public services need every penny they can get. How on earth does she think that now is the right time to protect Shell's profits and give Amazon a tax break. I'm on the side of people who work hard and do the right thing. That is why we will reverse the national insurance increase and that is why we will keep corporation tax low. Because ultimately, we want investment right across our country. We want new jobs and new opportunities. And that is what I will deliver as Prime Minister. It's starting to get a bit more lively in the House of Commons with a big sort of battle of ideas there. Um, uh, And I thought Trust might respond to sort of NHS stuff about hospitals because the plan apparently is for some big announcement early next week on how they deal with the backlog and all that sort of thing. And that, you know, one of the reasons why Therese Coffey, her closest ally and Deputy Prime Minister, has gone to health is because they know that's a major issue and she wants someone she can trust there and someone who's going to have the clout to get things done. Um, I thought she might have pointed that out um, uh, there. Um, But you're beginning, and I suspect we're going to see this for many, many months now, um, to have a sort of slight dialogue the deaf where Starmer's concerns are you know and trust is like that's the, that's the wrong way to look at it you know we need growth um you know um and I suspect while it's exciting to hear these arguments for the first time <laughs> let's tune in you next cannot, April and see whether we're still doing the same people yeah, talking past each other you cannot tax your way to growth I think yeah. this is probably a phrase we're going to hear a lot about I mean it, Keir Starmer's starting to sort of mount an art like pull together a th- an argument that resonate with people, stroke victims waiting in ambulances, criminals walking the streets with impunity. Uh, families and public services need every penny they can get. Uh, what, uh, the thing about Shell's profits and giving Amazon a, a tax break, all that, all that will resonate with people who are really feeling the squeeze. Um, I just... this is like, the, the, the thing about her saying she wants to cut the national insurance rise, as put forward by Rishi Sunak, uh, something that doesn't ever seem to get talked about is that Rishi Sunak did row back on that. He, he put in... He moved the thresholds, didn't he? So that actually... Well, the people at the low end had almost no impact. Yeah. Um, but that's, this is, again, you know, this is one of my bugbears in politics where politicians muck about with thresholds and never get any credit for it. What people understand are headline rates. And, yeah. um, you know, a lot of people who aren't getting a, a, a national insurance rise still think they are. Yeah. But so we announced a national insurance rise, which everyone would have to pay for. And then following some political kickback as part of his energy package, he announced he was changing the thresholds so the people at the bottom wouldn't pay it. She's now planning to re- reverse the original thing, but still spend that thirteen billion pounds, but not on the NHS backlog, but on social care. Yeah, if you can follow that at home, well done, everyone. Uh, right, this is PMQ's Unpacked. It's on uh, time. I'm still joined by Tim Shipman, the chief political commentator of the Sunday Times, where we pause the action live from the House of Commons. Uh, we'll bring you the best of the rest on the back benches, but first, this is when they both have an opportunity. This will be the clip that they're both trying to get on the telly. 
Uh, it's Keir Starmer and Liz Truss. So let's go back. Question number six from the Labour leader, Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister claims to be breaking orthodoxy, but the reality is she's reheating George Osborne's failed corporation tax plan, protecting oil and gas profits and forcing working people to pay the bill. She's the fourth Tory Prime Minister in six years. The face at the top may change, but the story remains the same. There is nothing new about the Tory fantasy of trickle-down economics. Nothing new about this Tory Prime Minister who nodded through every single decision that got us into this mess and now says how terrible it is. And can't she see there's nothing new about a Tory Prime Minister who, when asked who pays, says it's you, the working people of Britain. So let's just jump in there before we hear her response. This is the new slogan from uh, the Labour Party. They are determined not to repeat what happened with Boris Johnson, where Boris Johnson managed to create the idea in the public's mind that he was entirely new and had oh, nothing, look at my to, brand new government. nothing to do with, yeah. uh, uh, with what came before Theresa May and David Cameron. They are determined to hammer home the point that Liz Truss, as the longest, single, 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 the longest continuously serving cabinet minister of this government, she's been there longer than anyone else without a break, that there is nothing new about her. Yep. The face may change, but the story remains the same. And then he goes off and starts talking about trickle-down economics, which uh, is a rather more niche point, uh, which is to do with Reaganomics. One one for the the political salons rather than the TV. Yeah, that's a sort of desperate attempt to please both both the Daily Mirror and the New Statesman in uh, one little uh, (laughs) uh, attack. Um, And then, you know, nodded through every single decision. Well, actually, Ms Trust didn't nod through a lot of these decisions. She was moaning vociferously about them in private. Well, I suppose, I suppose whilst, you could argue, uh, at what point are you so cross about all these things you're now planning to reverse that you, you may well have considered resigning, possibly? Uh, indeed. Right. Well, let, Perfectly let's, fair point. Well, let's I, see what uh, Liz Truss has got to say in response. How does she convince the public that she is something new? Well, there's nothing new about a Labour leader who is calling for more tax rises. <laughs> Keir Starmer doesn't look very happy about that uh, quite sharp same old, same old tax and spend. What I'm about is about reducing taxes, getting our economy growing, getting investment, getting new jobs for people right across the country. I'm afraid to say the right honourable gentleman doesn't understand aspiration. He doesn't understand understand that people want to keep more of it, their own money and that is what I will deliver as Prime Minister. I will take immediate action to help people with their energy bills but also secure our long-term energy supply. I will take immediate action to make sure we have lower taxes and we grow the economy and that way I will ensure we have a positive future for our country, and we get Britain moving. Yeah. Quite sharp, clever. I mean, I assume she might have had up her sleeve her, her comeback, but to you throw his language back at him yep. shows that she can think on her feet. Nothing new about a Labour leader calling for, for more tax rises. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, a little shout-out to the backroom crews here. I mean, pro- one of the shrewdest people in her team is a chap called Jason Steen, who is in charge of prepping her for Prime Minister's questions, who helped her turn her debate performances around, um, which helped to win the leadership. Um, you know, uh, she will put more effort into prep for PMQs than Boris Johnson did. Quite but also, let us not forget, turned up and winged it. a normal PMQs day, uh, the number 10 machine starts thinking about it on Tuesday. They spend all of Wednesday yeah. morning doing it. She's been putting together a cabinet, doing the reshuffle, taking calls from world leaders, chairing, chairing a cabinet meeting this morning. The actual amount of time she's had to spend on this is pretty... Limited. Certainly less than Starmer, you would imagine. Um, and go back to where we began this, Matt. Um, Labour MPs would leave that thinking Starmer did a pretty decent job of speaking up for the people they want to speak up for. Uh, but Tory MPs were cock-a-hoop with that line about tax rises. Um, and they will go away thinking, OK, um, she's got something. And if we didn't support her, uh, she's shown that she's got a bit of fight in her. And... Um, I think, on balance, um, they will be marginally happier 
as a result of today uh, than on the other side of the house. One very niche point, her repeating at the end her line on the energy bills and I'm determined to, you know, I'm determined to help people and I've been immediate priority and all of that. Putting all of that together into one hit, it's good for the social media. It's very good. It would get clip, you know, she, she could have thought, well, I've already done all that. She got her chair in the in the chamber and she still got her bullet ended, points across Ended on the bullet the points again. Exactly. Yeah, which is really, you know, in terms of communicating. I'd be very surprised if we don't see that whole last answer on the six o'clock and exactly ten o'clock right. news exactly this evening. Right. Uh, which if you hadn't done that, that might may well have got uh, got a bit lost. Uh, so, yeah, it suggested there is a, a, a really concerted to try and communicate these things. Uh, right, it's match on Times Radio, bringing you PMQs unpacked. We're not going to bring you... The, we're gonna, we've dropped the news because uh, we've got so much to bring you. Uh, we're going to basically work our way through as many of the questions and exchanges as we possibly can, uh, which we kick off with it. To the delight of the nation, we will kick off with the SNP leader in Westminster, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and I'm sure the thoughts and prayers of everyone in this House will be with the families that were caught up in the terrible shooting over recess in Kyle and McCalsh and indeed in Liverpool as well. And we trust that the families will be fully supported. Mr Speaker, let me congratulate the Prime Minister and her family on her appointment. But I'm sorry to say that her reputation for straight talking has fallen apart at the first PMQs. After nine questions, she's still not told us who will pay for her energy plan. Prime Minister, today the public are waiting to find out the response to the economic crisis and they want answers. So, will the Prime Minister finally answer two very simple questions? Will she freeze energy prices at their current levels and will it be paid for by a windfall tax? Yes or no? No, it won't be paid for by a windfall tax. I don't believe we can tax our way to growth. And what I want to see is I want to see us using more of our UK energy supply, including more oil and gas from the North Sea and nuclear and nuclear power in Scotland as well. And I hope I can count on the SNP's support for that. Okay, let's go back to Ian Blackford again for his follow-up. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I say that on her first full day as Prime Minister, she has failed to rule out... <laughs> failed to rule out... Shh, let's hear the next question. Oh, Ian Blackford. Getting in on the action. The Prime Minister may have changed, Mr Speaker, but it's the same old being shouted down by the Tories. Prime Minister, she's failed to rule out a trust tax on household and businesses. Instead of targeting the profits of massive corporations with a windfall tax, the Prime Minister plan appeared to be a decade-long raid on the bank accounts of ordinary taxpayers. These costs must not be passed on to consumers and businesses by deferring bills. Government must announce an enhanced windfall profits tax, making sure that those oil and gas producers pay their fair share from excess profits. Does the Prime Minister understand that her first act as Prime Minister will now define her? A trust tax that household and businesses will be paying for years to come. Well, I'm not quite sure what the uh, right honourable gentleman's position is, because on one hand, he doesn't seem to want oil and gas extraction from the North Sea, and on the other hand, he wants them to pay more taxes. Why does he make up his mind? Chris <laughs> right, uh, Let's have a conversation about whether or not the phrase trust tax is going to take off beyond SMP Twitter. I don't know. I thought it was a frost tax. I might have misheard. It, it was a bit mumbled the first time, so you had another go a bit later on. Uh, I mean, essentially just re- repeating the position of, the, of, the, of, of Keir Starmer with the added complication of the SNP's slightly uh, seesawing relationship with the coal and uh, the gas and oil industry. Indeed. They sort of say, well, it's all Scottish. Why does England have any of it? Yes. And then they say, but we don't want any of it brought out of the ground because it's environmentally damaging. But we do, but we do want, want them to pay huge, prof- huge profit. But we do taxes. want to tax them because that's going to bankroll in independent Scotland. But we shouldn't be taxing them because we shouldn't be getting anything from them. Anyway. Ephemeral aside, but Ian Blackford admitting that the Tories shouting at him disturbs him. It's a little bit curious. He, he, you've always, I've always had the impression Blackford rather likes rather the cut and it. thrust. But uh, yeah, same old Tories being rude to me when I try to speak. Just a little sense that 
they've got to him. A I, bit. I suspect because we we was talked before about the strange bromance between him and Boris Johnson. They quite liked needling each other. Yeah, they sort of liked having Who the was other the as the It was, uh, an, was, it was the, the person you loved to hate, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, well, yeah. There's no love lost there. I don't think. Well, talking of uh, talking of prime ministers, not Boris Johnson this time. We go one back. Uh, another former prime minister is in the chamber. Uh, this was uh, Theresa May asking Liz Truss a question. Thank you, Mr Speaker. May I congratulate my right honourable friend and welcome her to her position as the third female Prime Minister. Can I ask my right honourable friend, why does she think it is that all three female Prime Ministers <laughs> have been Conservative? I think that's what we call an underarm. Yes. <laughs> More, they say, as if they want her back. Well, mm. I, I thank my right honourable friend for her fantastic question. I look forward to calling on her advice uh, from her time in office as I start as I start my work as I start my work as Prime Minister. It is it is quite extraordinary, isn't it, that there doesn't seem to be uh, the ability in the Labour Party to find. A, uh, a female leader, or indeed a leader who doesn't come from North London. Yeah. I, mean, I, just, I, I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what the issue is. Oh, I, I thought we could have had some more, 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 more wigs, or, or she sat down again. Uh, so oh, much, so many more. Well, oh, there we are. There we are. Um, uh, I mean, it's a good point. Keir Starmer, North London, Jeremy Corbyn, North London, Ed Miliband, North London. Tony Blair, North London. Gordon Brown, the only one who uh, who broke the trend. Yeah, that didn't go so well, does it? <laughs> um, I mean, the question's obviously a softball, but intriguing that Theresa May already seems to be sort of saying, I'm prepared to be helpful here, yeah. uh, in a way that she absolutely Very never was with point. Boris Johnson. Uh, and Trust kind of responding in kind, saying she'd take advice from her. I mean, I used to take great pleasure in phoning... Uh, contacts in Downing Street under uh, Johnson's tenure and ask, you know, whether he was consulting former prime ministers. You know, has he had a chat with Dave? Has he, you know, occasionally he'd had a chat with Dave, very, very, very rarely. Uh, Boris Johnson did not like taking advice from David Cameron, and he certainly never picked up the phone to Theresa May to get her views on anything. So uh, that's an intriguing little, you know, uh, subplot for the next couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, um, it was notable, wasn't it, that David Cameron tweeted support for Theresa May when she faced a vote no confidence didn't do the same for Boris Johnson. Uh, it'd be interesting to know what's going on if, if, if David... Because obviously Liz Truss was, began life as a sort of ultimate Cameroon, came in on the A-list, yep. rose through the ranks on his watch. You know, he promoted her very early to ministerial office. Yeah, she was the first of that kind of gang to get into the cabinet in 2012 um, and has been there ever since. Um, though more of an Osbornite than a Cameroon, yeah. I think. But um, part of that, yes, that world, part of that, the that, that project. Yes. And in fact, George Osborne's been very positive and supportive of her. Yeah, and she's still quite close to George Osborne, I think. There's, um, they still talk. Um, and, um, you know, it was even suggested to me a few months ago that, you know, um, uh, if George wants another job at some point, it might not be impossible to imagine him returning. Well, that was the one thing when we were playing fantasy reshuffles. You know, it's been a while since we've had a Peter Mandelson being plucked out of the darkness. Well, I think, you know, that Peter Mandelson returned when Gordon Brown was at his lowest ebb. Um, Here's a cheeky tenor now, so you can clip it and play it back. Yeah, but if by next summer things are looking a bit dodge, for uh, you know, don't surprise, don't be surprised if you know the next leader of the House of Lords is George Osborne, or the next Foreign Secretary sitting in the House of Lords is George Osborne. Well, and uh, well, it was um, uh, Peter Manasseh was Business Secretary, wasn't he? He was First Secretary of State. Right, we'll clip that up. That's going in the archive. Uh, Maggie says she's tough. This lady. Well, if it's that, the message says she's tough. This lady. Maggie. I don't know if that's from Maggie or just a comment on who Liz Truss is like. Uh, and then somebody else says, trust tax, love it. So keep those uh, observations coming in. Uh, let's hear now from SNP MP Hannah Bardell. According to the Prime Minister's new Deputy Prime Minister, one of the things that qualified her most for being PM and was one of her greatest achievements was the reintroduction of beavers. Now, I'm all for the beavers, but given her flip-flopping on Brexit and given her inability to understand global affairs, how can constituents like mine, like Waz Abbas, whose energy prices are going to go from seven to £37,000 a year, or Broadtext in Livingston, who are going to go from £50,000 to £250,000 a month, have any faith that she can tackle the oncoming humanitarian crisis? Is she going to come out of her den in number 10 and take real action, or is she going to be as useless and corrupt as her predecessor, who's rocketed off to somewhere in the Pacific. Well 
for what's a bit strong. I wonder what Lindsay Hall well, thinks about it. I am determined to tackle Nothing. the issues we face in energy, and I look forward uh, to the Scottish Government playing their part by building new nuclear power stations. Can I, can I just say, I want a nice opponent, that was not a good example. I certainly don't want to use corrupt being used against the new Prime Minister. And I'm sure the Honourable Member. Just. I think our point is that the previous will withdraw it. Just withdraw the call. Sometimes, sometimes the truth hurts, but I'm happy to withdraw it. Pretty sure. Right. Right, indeed. Uh, I can only assume that Hannah Bardell made that beaver joke innuendo as a as some sort of bet. Uh, no... Well, possibly. Um, I don't think it. Um, it was sufficiently sort of strange that um, it didn't have the desired effect. <laughs> Short of everybody messaging me beaver klaxon on my, you know, members of parliament literally writing beaver klaxon in my uh, uh, my WhatsApp messages, yeah. um, which is obviously always amusing. I remember once asking Boris Johnson about his uh, quest to protect the endangered beaver and he began his uh, reply with enthusiast for the beaver as I am. Uh, and the special advisor had his head in shame. Um, no, I'm not sure what she was intending there, but it, it was one of those ones that was just more weird than penetrating. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, and the result wasn't uh, much different. The main, the main being, thing being that Lindsay Hall said you can't call Boris Johnson corrupt in the House of Commons. Uh, right, that's here. Uh, we continue PMQ's unpacked. Let's hear now from the Labour MP, Rachel Hopkins. The new Prime Minister tells us she will deliver on the NHS. Well, that's a turn up for the books because after 12 years of Conservatives driving our NHS into the ground, we have record waiting lists, people dying in ambulances outside A&E and nurses using food banks. So given the Prime Minister has served in the past three Conservative governments on that watch, can she explain why we should trust her to deliver? I mean, I don't agree with the way she is talking down our National Health Service. The fact, is, the fact is that our health service did brilliantly in tackling COVID, in delivering the vaccine rollout and in getting this country back on its feet. But we do face challenges now with the backlog following COVID. And this is why the new Health Secretary is going to work to address those challenges. Jeremy Wright. I mean, that's the big problem that Liz Truss is going to face over over the coming years and mo months and years, isn't it? Is that uh, the problems stored up by 12 years of government have all happened, you could argue, on her watch in one way or another. Yeah, that's true. And then she inherits, you know, a situation where COVID has exacerbated every problem that, that there ever was. Um, and she doesn't have very long to turn things around um, before the next election. Um and that's a big systemic structural problem for the government. Um, and Labour, you know, it hasn't always worked. In fact, it often hasn't always worked. But, you know, Labour's favourite attack on a Tory government is always you're letting down the health service. And it's quite an easy attack to make at the moment. And it's, a, it's such a... The British relationship with the NHS is so weird because on the one hand, it's this great national religion, which, you know, you're not allowed to talk down in, in the words of Liz Truss. On the other hand... It's uh, people share their horror stories all the time. They sort of love the NHS in, in the the theory and in the practice. They complain they can't get a GP appointment, which is why she talked about that on the steps of number ten. Uh, everyone's got a story about uh, a loved one in the back of an ambulance chart who can't get into the hospital, or people worried that they might have to call an ambulance they can't get to the hospital. The what, long waiting list and all of that, and that sort of slightly sort of double headed, a view of 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 the NHS. Um, it's going to be. A, it, she, she needs to sort of address both of them, doesn't she? It's very difficult for a Conservative leader because most of them in private believe that it, a lot of it doesn't work very well. Um, you know, um, if it was such a great way of paying for your health care, a single other country in the world would have copied it, and none of them have. Um, I think the Qataris copied it for a while and then changed their minds and went in a different direction. Um, you know, and even extremely left-wing countries um, and ones that are comparable with us, you know, the French is a much more left-wing country. France is a much more left-wing country than Britain. They've got, uh, you know, a public system allied with insurance. And, yeah. You know, um, the second Conservative Prime Minister mutters the word insurance, um, everybody goes mad. Yeah. Well, the, the Labour Party will accuse the, accuse the Tories of uh, privatising the NHS at yeah. every election. 
And at some point, you assume they might get around to it if that was their intention. Uh, right, we've got one more question then. This is Conservative MP Jeremy Wright. Speaker, I congratulate my right honourable friend on her appointment and recognise her determination to address the many urgent and difficult challenges that face us now. But would she accept that one of those challenges is an almost entirely unregulated online space? And would she accept, too, that no responsible government can avoid the need for excellent, balanced, sensible regulation in this space? And would she therefore assure me that the online safety bill will come back to this House swiftly for us to consider further and amend if necessary? Well, I can assure my honourable friend that we will be proceeding uh, with the online safety bill. There are some issues that we need to deal with. What I want to make sure is that we protect uh, the under-18s from harm, but we also make sure free speech uh, is allowed. So there may be some tweaks required, but certainly he is right that we need to protect people's safety online. Uh, just remind people who don't know, this online uh, safety bill has been it's been quite hotly contested even within the Tory party. Isn't yeah, it? very much so. Um, uh, it, it was a big debate during the, the contest, and a lot of people were desperate to get themselves to be made culture secretary so they could go and tear it to bits. Cammy Badenoch was one of them. Um, Liz Truss herself, I think, thinks it has been uh, overdrawn and it's a bit too restrictive and it uh, impinges on freedom of speech. Um, uh, and having Nadine Doris leaving the culture department allows them to do some some tweaks yeah. uh, like that. Though the fact that Truss offered her the job to start with um, suggests she doesn't think it's probably anything that radical. And, you know, Jeremy Wright is a former culture secretary, he's a former attorney general, so he understands the law and he understands the issues. I thought that was an interesting question because uh, as he began it, I thought, oh, is the first, this is the first sign of dissent yeah, yeah, yeah. and the first sign of, you know, a bit of angst on the back benches and saying trust is going in the wrong direction. But I think the way he framed it was very much get it back in here and we can address these issues um, and make some tweaks if necessary. And she basically embraced that. So it wasn't really a conf the confrontational question I thought it might be at the beginning of his words. Um, but it does show there's quite a lot of feeling on it. And what they don't want to see is this bill punted into the long grass because of problems about freedom of speech when there's quite a lot of important stuff in it about protecting young people from uh, the horrors on online. And just a reminder that when you are the Prime Minister, all of this stuff comes back to you in the end. You know, the easy decisions are made by junior ministers, cabinet ministers, but the difficult stuff ends up on your desk. And I think perhaps more than Boris Johnson, Liz Truss has an opinion on a lot of those things. Yes. She does sort of pay an interest and has thought about a lot of these issues and has a, probably a firmer position than he did on a lot of slightly more obscure things. Um, but, um, you know, yeah, everything's there. That's what's, you know, that Prime Minister, you know, she'll have walked to that dispatch box with an enormous folder with hundreds and hundreds of tabs in it, um, things that she might get asked about. Yeah. Um, and, you know... And actually today, equipped herself pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think the Tory benches will be very content with that, to be honest. Uh, loads and loads of comments on the YouTube channel. Uh, my favourite uh, being... Well, this is a pretty dull PMQs. Quite refreshing. <laughs> Uh, uh, someone else say Martin says I'm no toy but this PMQ is refreshing after three years of Johnson nonsense um, you know a sign of things to come at least they're having a discussion about policy and what might actually happen in the country yeah I mean be careful what you wish for Matthew yeah, I mean you know it's like the old ostrich summer. gag to we, keep we, us we going mind, yeah, yeah if, if, uh, once a month Keir Starmer could turn up with his Wheel out Star, Star Wars, Wars. joke book. Um, uh, but I think, in fact, we can find out how it's gone down in the comments now and go live to Charlotte Ivers, our political correspondent who's in Westminster. Um, you, 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 how, how do you think that went down in the room, Charlotte? What, could we, what was happening that we couldn't see on the cameras? I thought that was rather interesting, to be honest, Matt, because it's the first time I've been in a big room full of MPs this week and there was a proper atmosphere. It actually felt like something big was happening. It's been weirdly subdued and I think possibly having the opposition in the room allowed Conservative MPs to really start rallying together and start getting their spirit of fight back. Even the ones who had been telling me earlier in the week, oh, this is a terrible thing for the party. We're all in big trouble now. We've lost the next election. They were all up there roaring, cheering, particularly delighted to be able to rub in the fact that they've had three female prime ministers and Labour have had none. And then the same level of annoyance and frustration coming back from the Labour Party, really. It was a proper atmosphere and actually a proper ideological debate which we haven't really seen for a while in prime minister's question time uh, just just to confirm because somebody asked a question earlier boris johnson wasn't there don't think he was no he may have been lurking in the back somewhere but i couldn't see him and uh, no can you see any of the others rishi sunak grant shaps the the, the, the big people have been sacked 
you know what? This is really bad. I was actually sat on the side where I can mainly see the Labour benches. Ah. So I can tell you who's there from Labour to a man. But I'm, I'm a little bit more rusty on the on Conservative side. The Obviously, Theresa May was there and she asked a question. That was a really interesting one because she asked a very, very soft question. Isn't the Prime Minister pleased that we've had three Conservative female prime ministers and obviously given what a thorn in the side she was of Boris Johnson's I think that will be a big relief for Liz Trust to have such a lovely softball question as her first one. Yeah exactly right given all the trouble that she caused uh, Boris Johnson. Charlotte really good to speak to you and get off and uh, lurk in quiet corners in the House of Parliament. Charlotte I was there our political correspondent down in Westminster. Uh, Tim what, what your plans for the rest of the week? Uh, I've got to try and get to the bottom of what's really been going on behind that big black door. Um and once they've announced the energy thing, you know, how did, how did they get there? Um, as ever, um, I will attempt to uh, bring you the juicy morsels that have escaped uh, my daily colleagues. <laughs> and who are the people, not necessarily the, the new Dominic Cummings, because he's become quite the, the, the minor celebrity, but who, who, who are the, who's the most powerful person we haven't heard of who's in, in behind the scenes in, in the trust operation? Well, I mean, the, the comms team is always going to be important. I mean, we wait uh, to see what stamp Mark Fulbrook, the chief of staff, yeah. will make on Whitehall. Uh, Mark is someone who is um, a campaigner, someone who spent most of his time helping MPs get elected. He's not someone who has vast experience of dealing with the civil service. And there was an interesting thing this morning when the cabinet photograph was put out that there were only civil servants in the room. And I think the, a lot of political advisers on the communications side and on the sort of political operation in number 10, who, if they don't allow, uh, if they don't find themselves sitting in that meeting, are going to find that they... Uh, unable to do their jobs properly. Yeah, so yeah. it'd be very interesting to see if that continues. Well, um, we always hear about restoring cabinet governments, uh, stopping off-the-record briefings, uh, a slimmer a slimmer state, which actually... Uh, but one of the reasons you need yeah. the comms team in there is because if ministers start mouthing off and yeah. bigging themselves up, you need someone who's able to say, well, actually, that version that you've been told is not strictly correct. Exactly. And Liz Truss, whisper it quietly, will know all about that. Um, <sighs> because, uh, uh, I mean... Uh, saying nothing from my behalf, but I know that Robbie Gibb, um, who was the communications director for Theresa May, had Liz Truss at the top of his list of cabinet leakers. Now, it may be that Liz Truss thinks her own political team are going to leak against her, but if she thinks the civil servants in the room are going to be the ones yeah. acting as a Praetorian guard for her, she's got she's going to be in for a rude shock. Um, I suspect by uh, this time next week that will have all that changed. Have all changed. But, um, as ever, a new regime goes in. Yeah. Um, they like to do things differently. Quite a lot of them announce that they're going to do things differently in the same way that everybody else announced yes. they were going to do things and differently, then and then they all things. end up doing it uh, back the way we've always done it because at some perverse level, I know the public doesn't think so, but broadly speaking, it does work. <laughs> Tim Shipp, we'd love you to see you. Chief political commentator of the Sunday Times, well worth a read this weekend. Uh, well, it's every well, weekend. We hope so, anyway. Well, we hope so. Well, I'll pick it up now. It's up to you to, to make sure it's worth it. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 